listening to Pet Candy. This show is brought to you by Brave Paws, a natural stress and anxiety chewable for dogs. Learn more at mybravepaws.com. Hey, pet parents, welcome to Bees and Queens. I'm your host, Caitlin Palmer. On my show, we talk to fellow pet lovers and discuss the wonderful and quirky world of pet care. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nelva Bryant. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, thanks for having me, Caitlin. I really enjoyed, I'm um, really excited that you brought me on to your show today. I'm so excited I'm to have you. You've done so many cool things. So, so tell me, you're a veterinarian, but you work for Delta. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Um, I'm honored to work with Delta Airlines. I started with them in July 2018 during the uh, pandemic, took a little hiatus and came back again in August of 2021. And I've been on board since. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, initially brought on, uh, you could say, why would an airline hire a veterinarian? But I was brought on to help review and revise the policies for animal transportation. During that process, I started noticing some things that potentially our pet owners can do to help prepare their pets for air travel, because I don't think there's enough information out there to help people get their pets prepared. It's more to it than just say, hey, I need a health certificate. There's a lot more involved with it and everything. So definitely want to share that information. It's a lot more than just jump in the car and go, you know, or... I mean, think about it. your pets. They, you might say to them, hey, we're going. And it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, think about it. most pets are probably accustomed to a car ride. Not many are accustomed to a plane ride. And how do you prepare them for it, too? So, you know, it's you, you can't just think that they're ready for it. And all I need is this and go. And you have to think about the animal, too. How can we get them prepared for air travel is really the main thing we need to start focusing on. And that's going to gear from making sure they're in a compliant uh, air, uh, uh, a compliant crate for air travel, basically. And that's that's an issue because a lot of travel crates might advertise that they're compliant, but they're not. So you have to be careful. You have to know, and, um, know the right type of crate to put them in so that it's sturdy for air travel by cargo. Um, you also want to make sure these your pets are acclimated to being confined in it. So, you know, we have our crates, uh, we use them for potty training, and I'm not excluding cats, but if you think about it, majority of times those travel crates or the crates are used to potty training uh, dogs. So we have them for that. And then once they're trained, you put them away and then, hey, I'm traveling. You pull it back out and then you try to shove them inside and I think it's fine. Number one, you got to make sure it's the appropriate size for your animal because they're probably grown significantly when, from when you once used it. And they're not used to being confined anymore either, too. So you got to make sure they're, you know, accustomed to being confined because a lot of them, you know, we don't do this anymore. So they'll, you might get the ones that have anxiety and they'll, they can break out of these crates or none of them are totally where they can't get out of. So, well, there are some, but the standard, what standard crates that are used, they can break out of those. So you have to be careful. So, but yeah, a lot to really do to get your pets prepared. Another thing um, that we don't think about too often is the fact that, uh, is my pet healthy enough to travel? And I always say a common misconception is that when you go to your veterinarian and you get a health certificate, again, we're saying health certificate, so we're thinking they're healthy, right? 
but that's not necessarily what it means. A uh, health certificate really is a certificate of veterinary inspection, and it shows basically is stating there's no evidence of infectious diseases in that pet. So, uh, and maybe they'll put their vaccination records, uh, rabies vaccination certificate on there. So, but it's really geared towards infectious diseases between animals. We're not talking about potentially my dog that's diabetic, that has liver disease, that has anything medically that can impact my animal and that during travel that can get worse because of stress or what have you. So we're not talking about, you know, the health certificate is not addressing that. So what we need to start doing is reviewing the medical record with your veterinarian and asking these questions of, is, is my pet healthy enough for travel? Let's start considering that and everything. So what would be some things that would maybe suggest a pet is not healthy enough for travel? One major thing would be anything with, with uh, heart disease or lung disease, anything, you know, cardiovascular or respiratory diseases. Number one, those two areas, you don't want them to have that because during transport the and going to the elevations and everything, it could be impacted, but basically those systems can be impacted, will be impacted by the elevations and altitude. And you don't want that to uh, have a problem. So yeah, I, I hate to say it, I do know some situations with some dogs that had underlying heart conditions that didn't do well um, and everything. And during transport, if you think about it, while they're in a cargo hold, there's no door, trap door that leads down to the cargo where you can take on the animals. So there's a period of time where they're not being, uh, it can't be monitored closely. They run into something you won't know it until after the fact. And um, there has been situations and it's unfortunate, but it really had nothing to do with the airline. It had to do with that pet and its underlying medical conditions. So you just want to check for all that. And I know for our listeners, some people are wondering, well, why do, why do I have to have an exam before I can take my dog on a flight? You know, why does that matter? And it's like this, this is why, you know, and you also, yeah. a lot of people, me included, <laughs> have pets that are anxious and have to take some little calming supports every now and then. And there's a reason why they have to be examined for that as well. Right. A lot of times folks will go to some of the medications that more have the side effect of being more of a sedative, such as trazodone okay. and those others. You have to realize it can also impact the, their cardiovascular system, uh, live, you know, if they're hepatics, you know, it, it can impact them internally. So you want to make sure they're healthy enough to take this medication too, because there's side effects with that. It, it, you know, it's funny, it's side effects to everything we do in life as far as we, we take in. And you have to realize that, that, it will impact them. And during travel, you just don't want them to succumb to problems regarding that. So you just got to be really careful. The best bet really honestly to do is, as most airlines have done, is they don't allow the transport of pets that have been sedated because of that worry and that fear. What you can do instead is, and that's for when they're traveling by cargo. Now, what you do with your pet in cabin, even though technically it's going to have the same impact on the animal, it's just that that's under your care and that's your decision to do so. But when the pet is being transported under the custody of the airline, no, not allowed. But um, what you should do, if anything, use something that's not going to impact their cardiovascular or any other system or having side effects like that. Using more natural type products would be more ideal uh, than, uh, again, your trazodones and other uh, medications that can cause sedation. Sure, absolutely. So tell me a little bit before we get 
too too much farther. Tell me about your own personal pets. Oh, my Naya is sitting. Uh, she's laying on her bed right behind me. She's doing very well. I she does not travel because she is an American bulldog. She's about eighty pounds. I have been in love with bulldogs. My whole family we love them. That smush face. So I up at home in New York, everyone. Yeah, everyone at home has the the Frenchie or English mixes. And I don't know why I decided I wanted to get an American bulldog. And it's, she is the largest dog I've ever had in my life. I went from a 15-pound dog to an 80-pound dog. But that's my heart there. She's doing great. She's an eight-year-old, um, like I said, female American bulldog. She's my heart. Oh, I love her. I wanted, when I was a kid and Homeward Bound came out, you know, Chance was a, was an American uh-huh. Bulldog. I wanted an American Bulldog so bad. And my parents were like, well, why don't we get a dog like Shadow, who was a Golden Retriever? And I'm like, no, I want Chance. Uh-huh. <laughs> so every no, time I hear American Bulldog, I'm like, Chance. Uh-huh. No, she's my babe. She's uh, just always been good. And I purchased her because, unfortunately, down I'm in Atlanta, my son and I, single parent. And we, I had a break-in, which was crazy. I don't know what happened. I don't know if you want to hear my crazy story, but um, all I know is, all I know is that I was. It was a Saturday night. It was around midnight. I was sleeping, and all of a sudden, my alarm goes off, and it didn't occur to me mentally what was going on at the time. So I ran out of my bedroom, ran downstairs, and shut off the alarm. And then I looked to my right, where the front door is. And I saw glass on the floor, on the, on the floor. Then I looked and saw the door was open. And then it was like, ding, 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 ding. She started breaking. So I ran to the door, closed it, locked it, ran to the alarm, set it, ran back to the bedroom, locked the door, and then ran to the bathroom, locked the door, and then called 911. So no one was in the house, but I put myself in major danger during that time that it just didn't occur to me. So I thank God. It's always watching over me because I really put myself in danger running to the door. I mean, crazy. But after that, I had been putting off for the longest. My son had been, we've been living in this house for many years. And I kept saying, yeah, I'll get a dog. Yeah, we'll get one. And so about a month later, I got a dog. And finally, I'll be honest with you, she made this house a home for me. It was like, this is what it was missing. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Hi, this is Shay, and I want to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy, Cooking with Shay. I make vegan eating easy and fun. Check it out on Pet Candy TV. Oh, what's that saying? A house is not a home without a dog. Oh, and I think that reaction is very valid because I don't know what I'd do in that situation. (laughs) I mean, you don't know until it happens. My my family, well, a few family members have said that I, they felt that I didn't, I don't react like maybe others, or I don't have the quick common sense. I was like, well, I've never, been, I've never experienced it. How would I know? I didn't know. I, like I said, it didn't occur to me until I was like, oh, that, that's what just happened. And uh, and also, I guess I kind of always just walk around feeling like nothing's. I don't know. I never really think about stuff like that. I'm not really the one that's running around defensive. So I just don't think that way. No, absolutely not. So we've got, you got your beautiful girl. What's her name? Naya, N-Y-A. And the Naya means it's, I, my son and I, I forget what uh, language it, it, it was in. It might, 
forget exactly the language it came from. We went to Wikipedia and put in something for new. The name was supposed to be new, and we saw all these different languages, what new meant. So Naya popped up. And I'm like, and I may be saying it might be Nia, but I put since it had a Y, of course, my friend said Naya. So yeah. And she's yeah. your dog, you can call her whatever you want. <laughs> yes. So what types of animals do you typically see flying in planes? Is it mostly dogs and cats, or do you get some exotics, some ferrets? All animals can potentially be transported by cargo. What we see primarily here um, through Delta is going to be your, I mean, pets right now are embargoed. We're still uh, really trying to get through the pandemic and everything and get things in order. So pets are embargoed, but besides your dogs and cats, there's breeder, uh, there's shippers of birds, uh, laboratory mice, might have zoo to zoo shipments of animals. Let's see, we had recently a cute little uh, cheetah cub that was transported. Yeah, it was transported in cabin and everything. It was a situation where um, the mother cheetah, I believe she did not produce enough milk or something for the, the cheetah. So they were transporting it to another location so it can get uh, proper care and everything. So but yeah, uh, various animals. Um, it, it continues on. Um, again, horses we're not doing not with Delta, but I'm not sure about the other airlines. All animals potentially can be transported and everything. The main issues behind it is you just want to make sure they're, they're shipped in compliant containers or crates. There are standards for that. The standard for it is through the International Air uh, Transportation Association, the Live Animals uh, Regulations Manual. They give you all the stipulations of what the container should look like, how many animals per container and all the things like that. So you want to comply with that. And that's why I back up a little bit. That's why I was mentioning you want to make sure they're in a compliant, as far as your dogs and cats, in a compliant crate. And the standard is through the IATA, International Air Transportation Association. They make those standards. And we were talking before and some of these crates that are advertised like they're compliant for airlines or yeah. not. Yeah. They're not. They're definitely not. Um, I Tennessee, like, I think I told you, I work weekends at Banfield, and I'm excited when I see different crates or containers they bring the pets in and always taking photos. And one I saw recently where it had a little thumbs up and a photo of an aircraft and a thumbs up next to it. So I'm saying that, hey, it's airline compliant, but it had all the features on it that made it non-compliant. Like, that's really bad advertising. So if you think about it, if a crate is easy to assemble, easy to put together, where it's just clip here, clip there, and it's done, that's not going to be compliant. Because it's, if it's easy to put together, it's easy to fall apart. Crates that have uh, multiple doors, say how if you have cats, people have the carriers that have the top door or the door to bottom. That's not compliant because you just want one way in, one way out, not multiple ways. So... There's features, there's a plenty of, uh, IATA gives the features of a compliant crate and we need to really start learning that more than just buying whatever is out there and stuff. So like I said, though, getting ready for travel, these are things you need to research and make sure you comply with. And the worst, the worst thing that can happen when there's false advertisement is that you get to the airport thinking you did everything you were supposed to do and they say no. And then you flip because you're like, what, what do you mean? Oh, this says it's right. And it's wrong. And then most of the time, folks get mad at the airline, thinking that they were wrong. Like, no, actually, they, we have the policies. We know what it's supposed to look like. 
So what should pet parents be looking for in terms of a crate for travel? I mean, you can use those, the rigid plastic containers are great, the, the routine pet ones. It's just that you want to make sure they're held together with nuts and bolts between the two parts because they're usually, there's a gate, uh, the front part has a gate with a little hinge and a little lock on one side. Then the other two parts you put together and you should close the top part and the bottom part with nuts and bolts, not plastic clips. And that's going to be your indicator right there. Ventilation should be only on the top portions. If there's ventilation on the lower half of the, the bottom part of the crate, that's not allowed. So there's many things. Trust me, I've seen crates. Oh, you know, another thing about crates that's interesting and people have to be mindful of too is the fact that people sell, you know, the used crates and stuff, they'll sell it at Craigslist or what have you, they'll sell it. One thing I've noticed that there's no um, expiration date on plastics for this. So over time, the plastic does degrade and the ability really to contain the animals go down. The plastic on those shatter, actually, which is amazing. They shatter when, when it's damaged. So um, you just have to be careful with them. Don't, I would not recommend anyone buying a used one and using it for travel because of that fear of that. Again, think about things dry rot. So you don't know how long it's been, how old it is, how it's been kept. It could have been outside somewhere. Um, so the plastic is probably degrading. And then you put an animal in thinking it's going to keep it. And now um, it's not as solid and sturdy as it should be. Sure. They'll fall out the bottom. That's happened to us. I work at a vet clinic and that's happened to us so often. People will bring their cats into the crate. Like he said, they only go once a year or less. Uh, you know, they put it out in the shed, in the garage, whatever, and they take them, put them in. They're freaked out. You get here, it breaks, the cat's gone in the woods. I mean, it, it happens. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. We, we don't think about, I don't, again, I don't think there's any expiration dates on these crates. One thing that I noticed and it's not a comparison at all as far as saying we do it for this and not the others. But I think it's interesting to know that, and I'm sorry, it's a, it's a different topic, but it's interesting to know that uh, child car seats have expiration dates on them. I didn't know that because I only have one kid, so I didn't realize that. So I only use my comparison. Yeah, but there's expiration dates on them, too. So and they do it, I guess, because they realize the plastic degrades and everything that can, can go downhill for the safety of, of the babies being transported, which is awesome. Well, when it comes to pet crates and traveling, you know, there's no expiration dates on the plastics that's used. And maybe there should be because, again, great, it dry rots and can impact uh, the animals staying inside. They can break out and get lost or whatever. So uh, for their safety, I wish there was something in place we can move towards that, too, to prevent uh, negative outcomes for using old crates that are dry rot, basically. Yeah, for sure. So is there a website or anything that people could go to where they can purchase a crate that is 100% definitely airline approved? During the pandemic, I started When Pets Fly on Facebook. And fairly recently, and it's basically, it's a method where if you had any questions regarding the transport of your pet uh, domestically or internationally, or just any questions you might have, I would just you know, use a way to educate the pet parents. Well, I've expanded uh, my social media presence. So I have a website now. And on the website, I do have uh, that information available of compliant crates that I've, I, that I've identified through Amazon that are definitely compliant. So check it out. Again, the website is When Pets Fly. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the domain. I have to work on that. But right now it's the 
the website address is winpets.com. Nice. And we'll link that in our show notes too, for anybody that may be planning to travel. So what about, and like you said, with the pandemic, there's not a whole lot of this going on, but sometimes people get to go out of the country. Can you take your pet with you to go out of country? Yeah, that, I mean, that, there's a lot of work involved with it. So folks need to understand that, you know, I think that the, the, the common misconception uh, when we travel in the U.S., we never think about the fact that, you know, you're required to have a health certificate to travel between states. But a lot of times if you're driving by car, most folks won't do it. You're trying, traveling by air, by cargo, it's required. It's a requirement, but that's the only time it's in a sense required. There's a, there's a big misconception that folks think that if you're traveling internationally, that, that, oh, well, we just need a health certificate to travel internationally. And that's no big deal. But when you're traveling to another country, you have to meet their entry requirement, their, their animal entry requirements. So, and that might mean more than just, oh, well, my dog's vaccinated against rabies. That might not be enough. You might have to have a rabies titer, uh, all the other vaccines up to date. Some countries have rules on micro, uh, they have to be microchipped. First, then the rabies vaccination, either the same day or after the microchipping. All these little stipulations that you're like, oh, yeah, he's fine. No, you have to make sure all these things are in order. Because if you get to your destination and you don't have that, it will be denied entry. You will be coming back to the U.S. or your pet will be held in quarantine while you might be on vacation. And, and guess what? You'll be paying for it as a pet owner. That's your responsibility. So um, traveling internationally is not as simple as everyone thinks and you really have to do your due diligence to get ready for it. And working with, uh, number one, working with an, an accredited, USDA accredited veterinarian, that's going to be important. Um, and just be aware, sometimes it takes more than just maybe 10 days. It might take four to six months to get your pet prepared. We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Hi, I want to tell you about my new show, Simply Pets with Shannon Gregoire. We talk about pets, life, love, and everything in between with the coolest people on the planet. Don't miss out on the fun. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice. And I read somewhere that in Can- if you're going from the United States to Canada, you have you have to have a flea and tick prevention. Is that right? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I mean, even that. Um, there might uh, there's other countries aside from flea and tick prevention. Depending on where you go, you might have to make sure your pet is treated for tapeworms prior to going. Yeah, um, you might have, and they and the country can dictate what's utilized too. Okay, you might think, oh, I. He's on heart guard for this. Like they might have additional things they want you to do, and you must comply. And they want they, they don't want you to say yes, I've done it. They want to see documentation that all the everything is completed. So just be aware as far as traveling internationally, there's a lot of work involved with getting your pet prepared. And really, if you think about it and you really want to do it, start working with your veterinarian early. Don't wait till say two three weeks before your your vacation or your planned travel to uh, meet those requirements and everything. It is a big challenge uh, to get all the information done for your pets. Yeah, absolutely. It's a much bigger deal 
like you'd said, then it sounds like, you know, I remember at one clinic I worked at, there was a couple that they were, they were military couple and they were being stationed in Germany. And this was before the pandemic. Thank goodness. We were able to get their health certificates, international stuff all together to get them to Germany with their family. But Oh my goodness, that was such a big deal, like to the point that it looked like the husband was going to have to go ahead and the wife was going to have to stay and finish up with the doll. It was it was a huge thing. Well, see, you've seen it. But again, a lot of folks don't realize that when they're traveling that you really have to schedule this out in advance. I mean, months out in advance. Um, so just to get everything done. And again, you don't want to not meet the requirements and then potentially be denied entry for your pet. Or for it to be held in quarantine. If it's denied entry, I mean, it has to go back. Someone's got to pay for that. So, and a lot of times, sometimes I, I've seen situations where they might feel that the airline, it, you know, as far as you know how we are as Americans, we want to blame somebody for something that went wrong. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, the airline, well, the airline knew I was going, they should have known. Actually, it's your responsibility. And what we're doing with Delta is we're working further to ensure to ensure these things is really start checking in advance. Don't let them travel unless we know you know they meet the requirements and start requiring the information to be upfront and see it because ultimately it, I mean it's the customer experience will be will be diminished if they have to go there and come back they'll be unhappy and just to ensure everything's all in order we need to have some extra things in order to to help them comply basically yeah absolutely yeah. oh my goodness so you went you went to vet school and you worked in private practice. Is that right at first? Well, I did practice for one year. I've been in love with this. told you I've been in love with Atlanta my whole life. I practiced for one year year down here in Atlanta. and um, But while I was in vet school, I fell in love with uh, veterinary pathology. And my mentor there was uh, John King, Dr. King. When I graduated, came down here. He tracked me down and was asking if I was happy in practice and I liked it, but I just didn't think it was really a big challenge for me. It just kind of gets routine sometimes, depending on the practice you're working in. So, um, yeah, I wanted more of a challenge. So I, um, he asked, was basically saying, get your, go ahead and apply, get your information up here to get into the veterinary pathology residency. And that's what I did. From that, I just came a, a different pathway. Just was veterinary pathology. Um, I worked with did a fellowship after that. Let's see, after that, I did a fellowship with C CDC, getting laboratory animal pathology. Then crazy me joined the army. After the fact, most veterinarians are joining the army while they're in vet school and have their tuition and everything taken care of while they're in vet school. And they just work in the army, which makes sense. No, not me. I graduate from vet school and then I go to the army and everything, which is fine because I'm just, I like, opportunities. I like challenges. So it was an opportunity and I just felt it was a, a good choice to go down that path. It was something different. So I joined the army. I had really cool positions that I had there uh, when I was in the army. Um, they didn't put me in a, because I had already had a veterinary pathology background. I was working actually in a research facility um, doing electron microscopy. I was doing some cool stuff and research. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did some great things with them. My initial tenure came up where I had to decide if I wanted to continue on or, or get out. And I just wasn't feeling it too much. I, I felt like it was a lot of control. So over my life, or my direction. So I resigned my commission with the Army and 
started my commission in the United States Public Health Service. So if we can say, like I said, on the Friday, I stopped here. And then on Monday, I started in the other one. Didn't lose any time in service, but it allowed me more flexibility about the choices I wanted to make. Um, no longer where they were saying, you're going to be stationed here. You're going to do this here. It was like, hey, if I want to work here, I apply for it and I'm there. So it, it offered me a lot of cool opportunities where I worked with um, USDA Food Safety Inspection Service for a little bit. Then I wound up, let's see, oh, uh, prior to that, I was with uh, FDA Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition. You were like, wow, I know. So just different things. But finally, I ended with uh, CDC, uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta, Georgia, and did a lot of cool things there. So it just gave me that variety. In a sense, I worked in the federal government. I still was a, I'm active duty, but I'm working in the federal government and just had different experiences. So I, I love it. But in the meantime, I'm part-time because I'm just sometimes that way. I still did clinical practice on the side. That's so awesome, Dr. Bryant. You do so much cool stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's been a really a good career. Honestly, I've done things I never expected I would do. Never would have expected. So it was really good. Uh, being in the United States Public Health Service was awesome because our deployments with them were like more um, humanitarian type or disaster response things. So I deployed for Hurricane Katrina, uh, Katrina, I'm sorry, and was there and helping with the animals that were trans, you know, from the flooding. They were trans, they were moved to a um, makeshift, it was a huge makeshift animal shelter and a um, horse stadium in Baton Rouge. We were there for a couple of weeks and just trying to help them out. And it was just a good experience, really, honestly. So I did that. I did an experience where I went to El Salvador and Nicaragua for like a humanitarian type thing. Uh, we went on a naval ship, stayed there, went landside, vaccinated animals in the countryside, and then came back. It was cool. It was really interesting to see something different kind of thing. But I will be honest, it wasn't, I think the coolest thing I've ever done was, um, and this wasn't, this was just like a TDY experience, um, temporary duty experience with CDC, where I did the um, work with the, the Rickettsial branch on a One Health project that was called the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever Rodeo is what we called it. And it's where we, we worked with environmentals, environmental health specialists, MDs, veterinarians, and we were all trying to combat um, Rocky Mountain spotted fever on an Indian reservation in uh, Arizona. Coolest thing ever. Coolest thing ever. My husband had Rocky oh. Mountain spotted fever and then I got Lyme disease. So we're, unfortunately, you know, we're ticks. a tick-borne family. It's the ticks. Well, on that reservation, they don't have the same animal ordinances that we have here in the States since they're their own sovereign nation. So because of that, um, rules behind, you say, well, I'm not saying rules for rules, but as far as confinement of dogs, they, they can have as many as they want and everything. So the more dogs you have in that environment, the more ticks you have. And ticks don't care. They want a blood meal, right? They don't care. And children were dying. So this project was developed to help combat it. And one main thing that, that, that I was responsible for or help with is that we did a makeshift spay and neuter clinic on the reservation and we targeted a part of the community and spayed, I think it was close to a month's time, we, we spayed and neutered at least 200 animals around that and everything. So wish it would have been more, wanted more, but 
I say we took a, we still took a bite out of uh, the population and everything. So. We'll be right back with more pet candy. I love my fur babies so much, but when they're stressed out, it makes me stressed out. Mine hate loud noises like thunderstorms and fireworks, and sometimes they just don't want to be left home alone. To help keep your dogs calm in moments of stress, use Brave Paws Anxiety and Stress Support Chewables for dogs. These plant-based chewables promote calm behavior with natural ingredients that have been clinically studied. Did I mention they're fast-acting and non-drowsy? I especially love that the natural ingredients are sustainably sourced. How cool is that? Want to learn more? Check out mybravepaws.com. Your dog will be happy you did. That's pretty good. I mean, that's a lot of puppies that were. Yes. Yeah. So we work with students from, it was students from Virginia, Maryland Tech. Uh, senior students from there were there doing the surgeries. We had also some students from North Dakota State University that also assisted. There were more um, graduate students from, and the cool thing, there were graduate students from Africa and they were learning about the project and everything and trying to um, use a lot of things we did in their countries and everything. So it was really, really good. Really good. That's awesome. Oh gosh. And you saved so many, not only so many dogs, but so many people too. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, so awesome. It, well, that's good. My main thing, like I said, is uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to work where I do with Delta. But the main thing is I want to do is just share an education of trying to help people get prepared. Because as far as a veterinary perspective, I don't think we have that out there. Someone might tell you, oh, get this crate and and everything. Okay, it must be acclimated. But we do need as far as veterinarians start looking at the medical history of animals and start giving some some advice on, it. I mean, it's, it's, of course, it's up to the pet parent to decide, but if you knew that your pet had an underlying condition or, you, or the significance behind it, would you force the issue for it to travel and, and potentially make things worse? I, I don't think they would at all. So we need to start advising, giving that advice more, uh, same as in human medicine, if you have an underlying heart condition or whatever, your doctor or your physician is going to tell you, you shouldn't be flying. And there's a reason behind it. So as veterinarians, I just want us to start being more uh, an advocate for the pets flying and, and start sharing this information. And again, it's the pet parent that decides, but if you let them know the significance behind it, maybe they don't understand it, but start sharing that information with the pet parents. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you for shedding so much light on it. And the main thing, uh, one of the main things I would like listeners to to take away from this is veterinarians require an exam before a health certificate, like you said, for a reason. It's it's for your pet. It's not that we just want money, you know, it's not just so we get paid. It's I mean, there's there's a reason. Underlying conditions. Is your pet safe to travel? We have to make sure they're vaccinated. This is all for the animal and human safety. Make sure you have a, a compliant crate. Um, it's great to know that there are some that look like they're good, but they're not. I would encourage you to check out Dr. Nelva's site. Yes, please, please, please do. Um, like I said, and then once you get that crate, make sure it's the appropriate size for them. Um, you might say, uh, it's funny, you'll get a crate, say you have for your cat, and your cat is crouched in it, and they say, oh, he's fine, he's crouched in there. Well, actually, that's 
or to be crouched the whole trip in that crate like that. That's actually against animal welfare regulations. So if the airline turns your way because of that, don't get mad. It's, it's an animal welfare regulation. It's not that, oh, he's fine. No. And oh, I've heard folks say, oh, my veterinarian said it's fine. No, it's not fine. Okay. Because there's regulations that the airline must comply with. And if they don't and something happened, they can lose their license. So don't get mad at the airline if they refuse you based upon something like that, appropriate sizing. Even the again, with the, the being a compliant crate, don't get angry. Just do your due diligence prior to travel. Uh, do your research and make sure your animal is in a compliant crate, the appropriate size for your pet, and also being acclimated and comfortable being confined. And... Uh, Again, well, let me keep going down the list. And medically sound and fit for travel. So th these all things have to be in order to make sure it's a successful trip for you. Absolutely. Safe for the pet, safe for you. Everyone arrives where they're God. supposed to be, happy and healthy. Let us all be safe and get to our destinations there and everything. And as far as we were saying earlier, sedation, sedation is not allowed. Research and find some other product that potentially is that, that can calm your pet. But... Um, is not going to sedate them. Actually, you know, it's funny. I read a study and it wasn't a USBA study. It was, I think, out of Canada. And it was mentioning the fact that they were, did a study on, uh, I believe it was dogs. And they were testing the cortisol levels on these dogs during travel, before travel, after travel. And then they compared it with giving us something that causes sedation and something didn't or placebo. And they saw the same cortisol levels if they were given the sedative or not. So that's telling you that they're still having stress. They're feeling the stress, but now under the sedative, they can't respond like they normally would. The ability to write yourself, they're off balance. All these things that can happen when they're sedated compared to if you just let them be alone. Sometimes uh, folks are saying that sedative is really for that pet parent, for them to feel more comfortable, thinking that they've done something for the animal, but they didn't. So that's for you to feel comfortable. And I don't think they necessarily need it. I mean, there are pets that have anxiety, but guess what? If they have anxiety and it's that severe, maybe they shouldn't be traveling. That's my thought on it. And airlines forbid sedation, right? Right. So um, just a lot of things to consider when you're traveling with your pets. So, yeah, and again, you want to do everything you can in the best interest for your pet. So start thinking from their perspective too. Yeah, absolutely. Because we love them. What, what about, so your brachycephalic breeds, so if anyone doesn't know, that's like a smush-faced dog, like a Frenchie yeah, or a Pug, because they have trouble breathing already. They have, <laughs> they have trouble breathing normally, okay? Give it, <laughs> normally they might snore or what have you. You know, there there is a true syndrome with them, the, uh, what is the brachycephalic um, airway syndrome with them, where they're, a lot of them, they have, what is it, elongated soft palate. Their trachea is more constricted. Uh, they have, ah, goodness, everything's just smushed if you think about it there. So, so they have difficulty breathing normally. And why is it a big deal is because dogs, you know, they pant to, to when they're overheated. We sweat, they pant to dissipate this heat. With all those, all these structures being confined, the normal way for a pet to dissipate heat is through panting. And it's difficult when they have the, uh, all their facial structures are now confined and everything. So it makes panting a little bit difficult for them. 
during tra transport, they get easily stressed, they overheat because they can't pant properly or dissipate the heat properly. So they're prone to developing heat uh, stress and heat stroke. So brachycephalic breeds or snub nose are uh, restricted by most airlines because of that issue that can happen with them and everything. So um, definitely, I would say if you have them, I mean, goodness, I know you want to travel with your French bulldog and you're the sweetest. And again, I told you my family loves bulldogs, but um, they don't handle it well. And it's not in their best interest to, to travel. And again, most airlines will definitely uh, restrict it by cargo. What you do in cabin with your pet, that's your responsibility, but it still is something you have to be careful about because again, they, they can very easily overheat and um, get, uh, like I said, heat stroke and, and die from that. And we don't want that to happen. If you check, if you actually research the animal incidents reports, the Department of Trans Transportation actually collects data from all airlines, US airlines regarding illnesses, not illness, I'm sorry, injuries, escapes and deaths <clears throat> have to be reported yearly. Also the number of animals that are being transported. So you can actually look at these reports to find out what animals were dying. And if you go back pre years back since they've been collecting this data, a lot of the pets were brachycephalic, snub-nosed breed dogs that died. So then based upon that, airlines over time have become more stringent because we don't want that to happen and everything. So please don't, please don't falsify information. Please don't ask your veterinarian to falsify a health certificate to say it's a some other breed that's not on the restricted list. I've seen it happen numerous times. Don't do that. You're putting the, your pet at risk for that. And just don't do it. It's not right. Really not right. No, that's not healthy for anybody. Oh my goodness. No. But people do it all the time just to get what they want. And and they may and they may be fine. But it's just that one that it happens too. And you don't want it to happen. No, that's a risk for, for my baby. If that's my French bulldog, I'm not willing to take that risk yeah. me personally. Yeah. So what happens if someone comes on with a very obviously it's a pug, but their paperwork says it's a lab mix or just something weird? I mean, can the airline decline it just based on no, that's a pug, or do they have to kind of go off that health certificate? Not that anybody would do that. I'm just curious. Every airline is different. Um, with us, within Delta, we will be, I guess it's because I'm, probably because I'm involved with them, I can very easily consult with them at that time frame. And if it, if I see it and it, it's a pug and it says something different, I, was like, I can very easily say no and, and to deny it for the safety of that animal. It's denied. But, you know, there has been instances where, as you're saying, it's accepted and what have you, and it's made it through. But again, if something goes wrong, it really, airline's not at fault. We didn't falsify it. We didn't falsify the information. You did. So you can't blame the airline for that because we told you. So now, you know, you can't expect the airline to now be the breed control too. So there's some, you know, some of the responsibility has to go on to that pet owner and everything. So I guess the statement is saying is please don't falsify information just to get what you want because you're putting that pet at risk and that's not, that's not good. That's really, really, you wouldn't want to do that with your pet. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I know just with some places that restrict pit bulls, you know, <laughs> I've seen so many, no, that's, that's a pit bull. 
but it's a lab yeah. mix or it's oh, a, it's a lab mix. That's a lab right. Mix. You know, yeah. it's a mix. It's like, is it though? <laughs> it's like, sure guys, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. different. That's not traveling and at risk of dying, you know? So they need to realize that. But yeah, again, what they falsify information, um, really it falls on the, for that pet owner with that information. But again, the sad thing about it is though, I do know that, at least I've heard of situations where the, the pet owner has asked the veterinarian to put a certain breed on there knowingly. So they know, and we shouldn't, I mean, I don't know. We're not breed patrol either. Again, we're not taught breeds. We just, we learn breeds from just association and seeing them, but we're not really taught. At least when I went through vet school, we were taught breeds. So, um, so it just puts us all at an awkward position um, regarding that. For sure. And then, I mean, you're torn between you want to help the pet owner and your, your first commitment is to that animal. Right. Right. And then, like I said, we're just, we should, like I said, more education and everything it just needs to be able to understand sometimes the significance behind these decisions that are made. And this, everything we do, let's try to put the animal first and do everything in the best interest for them or for everything, and, you know, traveling, make sure, again, like I said, comp everything's complies with the airline as far as uh, compliant crate for the pet owner. Just make sure your pet is medically fit for air travel, more than just your health certificate. Make sure he's medically fit for travel. And it's going to take time. Again, the examination, yes, is needed prior to travel. But if you're there, hey, take the time. Hey, can you review, can someone review my medical history? Remind me, because it's funny, people forget sometimes when when things happen with their pets or and everything I, I had someone recently said oh my my dog didn't have this my this dog didn't have the other one did and I'm like look through the record I'm like no your dog was diagnosed with this on this day so oh, I didn't remember that so sometimes you have multiple pets you know review the right medical records with them and um and just key highlights that this happened this year okay we did have a infection here we, you know review it and that changes. I mean, that's why you have to have a, a yearly or however often exam and blood work. I mean, well, they were fine three months ago. Okay, well, that was three months ago. They don't think they get the, well, I don't know if they want to get it. They just don't get how it's not as simple as you think. And don't get me started. I, had, I just had someone this past weekend, they sent an email with a photo and they wanted a, of a dog with a skin condition, crust and everything. And they wanted a diagnosis from a little photo and was kind of upset that no one gave them any medication or, or required them to have a visit. I'm like, I was like, I said, they really want me to answer that through that one little photo. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, no, I'm not answered. It's like, I have to see the animal. I can't dispense medication on a photograph. So I said to say, um, I need to realize the significance and there's a lot of work in, in veterinary medicine. We do a lot and there's a lot of expectation on us. And they need to realize that it's not as simple as you think. You can't call your physician and say, I got this little thing over here. Let's show a picture of this thing here. What's the, what is it? We'll be right back with more Pet Candy. Have an anxious pet? Brave Paws may help. Brave Paws anxiety and stress support chewables may promote calm behavior in dogs who exhibit nervousness and anxious behavior. 
our clinically studied and patented botanical blend contains naturally occurring bioactives, which have been found to promote a sense of calm and relaxation in dogs. What's even better is it's fast acting and non-drowsy. Come get it today at mybravepaws.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Bryant. You really taught us all a lot of very valuable information. And for all of our pet parents and you're traveling, you're planning to travel, you should definitely go check out winpets.com. That's W-H-E-N-P-E-T-S.com. Thank you. Pet Candy, it's Pet Candy Radio.